Hello, and welcome back. I'm Jean Sharp, and you are joining us today for Opportunity Thrives, a show where we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers. We want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, provide your input, or send us your questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Today, we welcome back two guests who have joined us just prior to the start of the 2020 school year to discuss social and emotional learning. We are eager to reconnect with Deborah Jackalone, the Director of Student Support Services for the Sarasota County School District in Sarasota, Florida, and Dr. Crystal Ladwig, the Director of Research and Content Development for Suite 360, a social and emotional learning provider that partners with districts across the country. Deb and Crystal, welcome back, and thank you for joining us again. We look forward to diving right into today's conversation. Crystal, let me begin with you. When we last spoke, we raised concern about the health and well-being of our students, particularly in these times of lockdowns and school closures. How would you describe the national impact this time of restrictions and uncertainties have had on our children and our young adults? Well, I've got to say it's hard to admit, but the concerns that we talked about last fall are coming true in many ways across the country. I mean, sure, we have some students that are thriving and that that are great at working independently, that have lots of supports at home, that kind of thrive in that online environment. But the time away from school, teachers, friends, and in some cases, instruction itself is hurting many other students. And in fact, we're seeing more and more cases at rising rates across the country of depression and anxiety, both among students and teachers. The impact is even worse for many students of color and students from lower income homes who have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic and lack of resources. Uh, We couldn't agree with you more as we look at the reports and data out there. In fact, nearly every day we hear reports of the rise in mental health referrals as students grapple with isolation and anxiety, depression, and trauma. The numbers are rising as students across the country are not in school, not participating in sports or extracurricular activities, and not able to interact with friends. What's at risk here, and how do we respond? I think that's a great question, because what we are seeing right now, thankfully, is a lot of districts and government agencies across the country trying to respond, but trying to figure out how is difficult because we have so many different needs. And that's why I think we need to take an individualized approach. Certainly, we don't want to see students left behind academically, but they also need to have their social, emotional, and mental health needs met. We need to invest in students as individuals and learn those individual strengths and needs as people, not just as students. I'm a firm believer, and you may have heard me say this before, in the idea of Maslow before Bloom. So yes, I definitely want us to help students achieve those higher order thinking goals and develop those higher level academic skills but they can't do that when their basic survival needs are not being met. I think we need to take time to talk to students, to find out how the pandemic is affecting them and their family. Perhaps they lost a family member and afraid they'll be next. Perhaps they've been quarantined and are fearful of making someone else sick. Perhaps their friendships have changed over the course of the shutdowns and closures. 
as we invest in students in this way, they'll be better able to engage in their academic learning. But that requires that teachers be, have the skills and ability and time to connect with students on that personal level and really scaffold from there at that individual level so that they can get to those academic gains that we know so many students are losing right now. Absolutely. Deb, I'm really curious. In Sarasota, you began the year with implementing an SEL program at the very beginning of the school year. Can you tell us again, remind us why your district decided that this was an important initiative to invest in from the outset? Yes, I'm so happy that you asked that question because like Crystal just shared with us, we realize we have a mission in Sarasota where we focus on every student, every day, whatever it takes. So meeting the individual needs of all of our students was very important to us. And several years ago, we started doing some really impactful work centered around closing the achievement gap. One of the areas that we wanted to focus on and be really intentional with was our work on social-emotional learning. So at the start of the 2019-2020 school year, we opened up with a district-wide social-emotional learning day. And we offered over 25 professional development opportunities for staff district-wide to participate in. And this was kind of our opening idea to get people interested and engaged with the idea of social-emotional learning. Who knew at that time that this was going to be a forecast to some really important work for the 2020-2021 school year? None of us at that time predicted that there was a pandemic. None of us at that time knew that the social-emotional learning needs, not only of our students, but of our staff and our families, would be at the forefront of all of our work. So this past year, we partnered with Suite 360, and we opened the year by integrating the work of Suite 360 into everything that we were doing in our district. So from character education to positive behavior intervention and support to our MTSS process, mental health and social emotional learning are vital components of all of the work in Sarasota. That's excellent, Deb, and really lays a foundation, the groundwork for the work that you did moving into this year as well. As you began this 2020 school year, what were you seeing as the need for your students coming out of a spring that obviously gave us a quick transition to remote emergency remote learning? And what did you anticipate some of your goals that you set out to achieve with this particular program? I think the thing that we noticed most was the feeling of uncertainty. Students were uncertain about what was happening. Families were uncertain about day-to-day activities. Stability was being ripped from the ground of every person within our community. This pandemic has affected all of us in some way. And we knew that kids that were returning to school had been away from teachers and away from their peers and away from the school community for a really long time. So our focus and being intentional with our work was really important to us. We wanted to have something that was structured, something that was developmentally appropriate, and something that was available to really address the social-emotional learning needs of every student in our building and every student who was choosing to participate in their learning from a remote setting. Deb, you had shared with me earlier about the importance of the crosswalks that you had done in terms of mapping the initiatives with the content 
of Suite 360. Can you talk more about the implementation, how the SEL integrated into your curriculum and throughout your school day, and how it helped you to care for and surround your students with support? One of the things that was really important to us was to show our staff members how this work fit into the work that they were already familiar with and already doing in their schools and in their classrooms. So MTSS is our framework for how we support our students. And we were able to create a crosswalk that referenced all of our initiatives and social emotional learning was included within this initiative. We had a character education chart and it's a monthly calendar that each month we focus on a different trait of character education. It's called our civility squad and it outlines our 10 key principles of civility. That is the way that we work in Sarasota. And we aligned our mental health initiative and Suite 360 right into that existing calendar to create that sense of familiarity in an existing support that our staff was already using and implementing throughout the district. It sounds as if you found a way to manage the integration in a way that was both natural and really seamless for your teachers. That's really powerful. Deb, I imagine that you still have students, though, who are not in school on a daily basis that are still working remotely or still learning from a distance. How does your program adjust to support students who are learning from a distance? That was another win for Sarasota. At the time, we decided to work with Suite 360. We did not know that we would be facing a pandemic and many of our students would not be in schools. So the beautiful thing about using Suite 360 is it's accessible anywhere. Our students that are in the classrooms can participate in it in their classroom with their teachers. There's facilitated guides that teachers use to have to deepen the conversation. Students can also access this on any mobile device. So whether it's on their cell phone or they're at home, it is a beautiful program in the sense that everybody has the opportunity to engage with the content and to participate and strengthen their social-emotional skills. And so, Deb, I have to ask you, how have your students and teachers and even your parents responded to this initiative in Sarasota? The feedback that we have received is absolutely tremendous and positive. Not only are we having students that appreciate the fact that we're paying attention to their social-emotional and their mental health, their mental well-being, they're thankful for that, It is something that we've heard from our secondary students year after year that mental health matters and they want their mental health to be at the forefront of our work and be able to have open conversations, not only with their peers, but their staff. Some of the feedback that we've gotten from teachers is that they are learning as much as the kids are learning. Today, we're finding that the stressors and some of the mental health issues are not only concerns for our students, but also for our staff. So our staff is happy to have the resource guide. They're happy that they understand more and are developing some coping strategies of their own along the way. And it clearly sounds like it's become part of the fact of what you do in Sarasota. Thank you for sharing that, Deb. And Crystal, I'm going to come back to you with another question. Certainly, recent reports highlight the growing concern about students' mental health and heartbreaking reports about the increase in suicides among our school-age students across the nation are making headlines. Parents are crying out for help. From your perspective, 
what steps must we take to surround students with the support they need in this very uncertain time? So, Jean, that's a great question and one I've actually been having with a lot of my colleagues lately. And I've got to say that one of the most important things, and honestly, I say I would personally believe it's the first thing that we should do, is to talk to students about suicide. There's a myth out there that if we talk about suicide, it gives someone the idea to do it or encourages them to do it in some way. But the research consistently shows this to be false. The truth is that as we talk to students or our peers, even anyone, about suicide, we're reminding them that someone cares and that hope and help are available. But this also means that we need to equip parents with the tools that they need to be able to talk with their kids about suicide. You know, I've had these conversations with my own children, and I know they're tough, but I must say they're among the most important conversations that I think we can have with students and our own children right now. And talking not just about suicide, but about self-care helps to lay the foundation for mental health care at all levels. And I'll just share a personal story on this. I'm currently working from home and my sons are learning from home. And my younger one recently recognized my need for self-care. My 13-year-old son a few days ago brought me an apple and set it on my desk. I jokingly made a comment about, oh, it's an apple for the teacher. And he said, yeah, sort of. But what I want you to do is take the dog outside, take the apple with you, take her for a walk, and you have to stay out there as long as it takes you to eat that apple. And after he left, I was just like so impressed. Later on, I told him I actually want to copy this and use it somewhere as I'm writing lessons for adults because he raised a great point that I could take just a few moments and even multitask my self-care if it gets to that point. But we know that going outside helps us. We know that eating a healthy diet helps us. We know taking a break helps us. But so often we don't do those things to care for ourselves. And that kind of brings me to that next step that we're talking about here that I think that these conversations that we have, you know, they need to stress to students the importance of reaching out to an adult to help for themselves and their friends if they know someone who's talking about suicide or self-harm or struggling with their mental health. All too often, especially for teens in my own personal experience, students fear what will happen if they tell an adult. Perhaps it's the fear of the unknown or maybe they don't want to be known as a snitch, but either way, we need to stress the life and death nature of suicide and the importance of seeking adult help. Crystal, you raise a couple of really good points that I want to emphasize for our audience as well. First of all, I love the story about your son and what he did to acknowledge that all of us need a little bit of break. And in many, many regards, he was showing you how much he cares and how much he loves you to bring forward a very concrete idea, simple idea that you can use to take care of yourself and intentionally take those breaks and get the nutrition that you need as well. Such a great story to share. Yeah, it was you a also, touching moment, I got to admit. I'm sure <laughs> it was. I learned 13-year-old that day. I'm sure it was. And thank you for allowing us to hear about it as well. But I also want to comment because you mentioned the uncertainties. And one of the things that we read over and over again is the need for us to build resiliency, to bounce back from challenges and so forth. And one of the things that I've recently heard about resiliency and about change is that as human beings, we don't fear change, but we certainly fear the unknown. Can you comment on that briefly? Sure. And in fact, I was reading something just recently about this that was even saying it's the unknown can sometimes be more fearful than knowing something bad will happen. And right now we have so many unknowns and that teachers and students and parents are all facing. 
We don't know if we're going to stay healthy. We don't know if schools are going to be in person or online. We don't know how long all these restrictions that we're encountering across the nation are going to last. We don't know. Some of these things may be permanent. And there's so many unknowns. And we know that that is continuing to add stress to students and to teachers and families. And I think it's so important that, again, that we talk about these things. Because if you know that you're not the only one experiencing those fears, if you know that there's somebody else that they will walk down that path with you, it goes a long way to helping you to cope and deal with those unknowns. You know, I remember a study, Henry Cloud, I think, was the first one that I heard talk about this particular study that was done years ago where, and this is a kind of a terrible example, but it proves a great point. There were scientists studying stress and they put monkeys in a cage and stressed them out. They were making loud noises, banging on the cage, shaking it, and the monkeys got seriously stressed out and overwhelmed and, and frightened. They repeated the experiment and did nothing different except put a second monkey in the cage. Having that second monkey reduce that first monkey's stress levels dramatically. We need somebody walking through this time with us. We need that companionship, that connection. And we don't always have it in the same ways that we did before. So as we're working with our students, as we're working with our families, as we're being parents ourselves, we need to remember that we're not going through this alone and we need to reach out to others and have that community to help relieve some of that stress that comes along with the uncertainty that we're all facing together right now. That's very wise advice. I think that, again, as we think about a year after the pandemic actually began, we still have so many uncertainties and those relationships help us weather the storm a little bit and get through this season so that we can come out the other side. Crystal, I have another question for you, and it has to do with federal funding. So as we think about the federal funding that has been allocated for education and more that we anticipate will be coming, there is funding earmarked for social-emotional learning. From your perspective, does that solidify the acknowledgement or recognition of the national crisis or national need to support the health and well-being of our children and of our staff as well? I think it's an important first step. The focus on social emotional learning that we see in many federal funding initiatives are pre-pandemic. And that's certainly good. We've needed those initiatives in place for a long time. But things are different now. The world is different. And that means, in my opinion, that social emotional learning is also changing. We need to help students, their families, their teachers learn coping skills to face this new world and the changes that may be permanent. We need to acknowledge that things are different and that we're not all okay and that it's okay not to be okay sometimes. Then we can move forward to find solutions. And part of that also means being able to recognize the individual needs of our students and how they may differ from one another based on their own history, their own culture, their own experiences in life. And then I also believe that a key component needs to be teacher mental health and awareness. Teachers were notorious before the pandemic for pushing through. We always have. We always feel like we have to. We're the only adult in the room. And to be honest, as a classroom teacher, I know it's often harder to deal with coming back to school after taking a few days off or even one day than it is to go to school sick and keep pushing through. And that has damaged educators and resulted in burnout for decades. The added pressures that teachers have experienced as opposed to just teaching, which we all got into this to do, has really, again, damaged educators and resulted in burnout. In the COVID age, we're only seeing that getting worse. As we help educators learn to care for their own mental health, 
they will become more resilient and stronger and better able to model healthcare for their students, thus allowing them to also better care for their students' mental health needs. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I'm wondering if there are specific things that you can think of that would raise awareness or further awareness of the need for that self-care, both to support students, but also to support the staff in the building itself. You know, when I go into different trainings that I'm either I'm presenting or hearing that other people do, or even papers I've read about this topic, without fail, you always hear the analogy of the airplane and the flight attendant telling you to put your own mask on before you should put the mask on to any child or elderly person or someone in need sitting beside you, right? And that concept is really true. We can't help other people and we're not able to take care of ourselves and make sure that we're there to help them, right? And to be honest, I think even using simple analogies like that, that so many of us have experienced getting on a plane makes sense. Again, as a classroom teacher, I know there are times where I pushed through and went to school and did things that I knew were not healthy for me because I just needed to get it done. And to be honest, I still do that. That's if I didn't, my son probably would not have thought to bring me that apple, right? Exactly. We have to prioritize our own health care not just our physical health, but also our mental health. But part of that honestly requires shifting some ideas among educators that it's okay to take that day off if you need to. Yeah, you might have a little bit of chaos the day you come back, but you'll be better able to deal with it when you come back. And I think we really need to stress to educators the importance of self-care in terms of making them a better teacher and a better steward of these children that are entrusted to their care. You know, Crystal, I'm thinking that that mind shift is something we all need to be reminded of because we tend to focus on others before we focus on ourselves. And in many cases, we then don't have the reserve and the energy to take care of ourselves, which eventually means that it impacts how we can take care of others too. It's a good reminder. I think you're absolutely right. And I think a big part of that too is maybe a misconceived notion of what selfishness is. I know sometimes Mm. I do something totally for myself, I feel like I'm being selfish for doing it. And I don't really acknowledge that by taking care of myself, I am doing things for other people too, because then I'm better able to help others. And I think that those of us that are in any kind of helping profession, including teaching, often fail to recognize that and maybe have some serious looking in the mirror that we need to do and look at how we're taking care of ourselves and what the implications of that really mean for helping others. It's a great observation. Thank you for sharing that. Deb, I want to come back to you for a moment and ask you to describe for our audience how your social emotional learning program is impacting the school climate and culture in Sarasota. I think one of the things that I really enjoy in the conversation that you and Crystal were just having with one another, and I believe that as a result of the pandemic or this new normal, the new way of doing work, a deeper focus on social-emotional learning, I have seen more support, more conversations, more compassion in this past year than I have seen in my 26-plus years of education. So to me, the benefits of really being intentional with social-emotional learning and putting an extra emphasis on mental health and mental health education has cultivated this environment where people are more willing to support one another, where people are more willing to listen. We've created this idea that we all have to be perfect and that we have to work so hard to never make a mistake, especially in the field of education We have so many people who are sacrificing what they need for the benefit of their students. I feel like now 
we've created this environment where it's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling. What do I need to do differently? And we have a whole group of people who are rallying around that person, whether it's a student, whether it's a parent, whether it's a staff member, to offer that support and that listening ear. That's incredibly energizing, Deb. And quite frankly, it's such a positive outcome that I hope we continue to nurture and grow as we continue to recover from the pandemic and well beyond that as well. You know, I'm sure you've spoken with other districts about your program and the initiatives that you have in Sarasota. What do you share with them about the why, why this is important, or the reason you should consider implementing a similar SEL program? Well, when you think about education, we all want every student to leave their educational experience with a high school diploma and being ready to either enter college, the career force, and to be a productive member of our society, to be a great citizen. I have always known all along that social-emotional learning, when it's the focal point, is going to ultimately help us achieve that goal. In addition, we know what science and research says. We know that when we are intentional about social-emotional learning, all of those skills that employers look for, how to get along with people, how to cooperate, how to self-regulate, those types of skills are what employers are looking for. And social-emotional learning is going to help us all be more successful in that area. I tell colleagues that the return on investment is great. We all know that education money is tight. But for every dollar you spend on social-emotional learning, ultimately will save you about $11 of expenses on interventions and other support services that are necessary. So the return on investment is huge. I also tell people it's really important to start early. This isn't something that's a one and done. We don't do it in sixth grade and say we taught social-emotional learning that it's something that we start when kids first enter our building and we infuse that throughout everything they do with all of their learning activities from the day they enter kindergarten to the day they walk across that high school stage. We know the earlier we start with social emotional learning, it's gonna increase our graduation rate. It's going to increase the chances that students will go to college or enter the workforce successfully. And it will create that stable, environment that our students in our society needs right now. Deb, there are so many benefits to this, and among them, just the confidence of our students as well. I'm reminded of something I shared at a webinar I did recently where we talked about change in the future of education, and I said, it will be difficult, but it will be worth it. And that's what I hear you saying with social and emotional learning as well. Absolutely. I see our intentionality paying off. I see relationships flourishing. I see even in the most difficult times, people having the skill set and the strategies to come together and make it through those times in a positive way. Excellent. Deb and Crystal, I'd like to conclude with your final thoughts for other district leaders. If you could offer your best advice to other schools or districts when it comes to supporting the social and emotional well-being of their students and staff, what would that be? And Crystal, why don't I start with you? Okay, thanks. So I think, honestly, I'd take a twofold approach, and I've already touched on both of these topics, I think. But first, we have to make sure that the teachers who have that greatest amount of contact with students are themselves healthy. We have to invest in the teachers. 
if we don't do that, they're going to be leaving the profession. We're going to have more people coming in who are, are brand new and learning and learning in the middle of a fight, right? We need to make sure that we're taking care of those teachers and helping them learn to take care of themselves and putting supports in place in our schools so that teachers can feel that it's okay to take that day off when they need to. And if they're sick, they can stay home until they're feeling better and use those sick days that people in other professions tend to, to use more easily than we do as teachers. Second, we have to help those same teachers learn how to support and encourage their students using many of the same health tips and strategies they're using themselves. You know, social emotional learning curricula like Sweet 360 are fantastic. Obviously, I support it because I work for the company, right? But I also don't want to take away that personal aspect. A curriculum is only as good as the person who's helping to administer it. The teacher who provides that personal real life face behind what these things that we're teaching talk about. We want to raise students who are empathetic. We need teachers that show that empathy. We want students that understand and can be resilient and have a growth mindset. But we need our teachers to do the same thing as well and be able to encourage those skills in teachers. So honestly, I kind of see the best step forward being a combined approach. We're not just focused on student outcomes, but focusing on those teacher outcomes and student outcomes simultaneously so that both are achieving health and they're working together to achieve it. Excellent. Thank you, Crystal. And Deb, what would your best advice be? I think if I was speaking to another district leader, I would want to tell them, do not make social-emotional learning your initiative. Make it your passion. Let it be something that you are excited about and you want to be the leader of. But along the way, Make sure you get buy-in from as many stakeholders as possible. So when you're creating a vision of what social-emotional learning looks like in your district, make sure you're talking to teachers. Make sure you're talking to students. Make sure you're speaking with staff members. Make sure you're talking to other district leaders. That collaborative effort is going to lead to a shared vision. That shared vision is going to be systemic. And it's going to be build capacity within each and every single one of your schools. I think as you create that shared vision and you have that buy-in, you're going to see successes. And when you see those successes, be willing to celebrate and share your successes. But on the other side of that, you're also going to have setbacks. And I think that's okay. I think you need to have a willingness to talk about those setbacks and to be willing to adjust and learn from those setbacks as you move forward. And then lastly, share and support each other. Not only do we need to support our students, our families, our community members, but the teachers and the support staff who are working with our students every day. Well, Deb and Crystal, our time together today has passed so quickly, and I can't thank you enough for sharing your passion and your expertise with our audience. Certainly, we know that they will benefit from the wisdom that you have shared with them. So thank you for that. And Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. If you are enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review on either Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you listen. And please, reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.